Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Yesterday, I had a really bad day. It's not that I haven't had my low points before this, but on the whole, I was hanging in there, keeping my own suffering in perspective. Yes, completely reconfiguring our lives to homeschool our children on a drastically reduced income is hard, but we're not actively fearing for our lives or homeless or living through a war. We still have a lot to be grateful for. Normally, I work in the morning and then take the kids at lunchtime so my husband can work in the afternoon. But yesterday, he had a morning meeting, so we traded. I figured that would be fine. No one was going to die if my episode didn't get up a little later than usual. But from the moment my kids woke up, it was immediately clear that I was in for trouble. All three children were mouthing off, fighting with each other, and being more defiant and ornery than usual. My son, in particular, had woken up determined to be difficult. He didn't want to do any of the usual school stuff. He rolled his eyes at everything I said. By 10.30, our morning was falling apart. I sent the kids outside for recess, hoping that that would change their mood. It was a beautiful day. But within seconds, the girls were in tears because of something their brother had done, and he was whining about how he didn't feel like being outside. All of my attempts to switch things up or make them laugh or be creative were failing. They came back inside, and my son went to the cupboard and chose a fragile wine glass for his water. I stifled my initial protest, telling myself, This is good. He's taking initiative. Maybe eight years old is old enough to handle a fragile glass. But then he started crashing around the kitchen with it, climbing the door frame with it in his hand. I told him in no uncertain terms that if he wanted to use that glass, he needed to sit down at the table. He acted as if he hadn't heard me. I took the glass, dumped it in the sink, and told him, try again. He walked to the sink, took the empty glass, once again packed it with ice and water, and stood there drinking it in front of the open fridge door. I took the glass from him again. You're not allowed to use this glass anymore, I said. You're showing me that you're not ready. This time I put the glass in the dishwasher. My son rolled his eyes, walked to the cupboard, took another wine glass, and proceeded to fill that with ice and water. I took a deep breath and promised myself I would not act out of anger. Then I quietly took his glass from him, marched him to the back porch, and dumped his glass of water on his head. When I walked back inside... All three of my kids looked at me like I just pulled back my skin, Mission Impossible style, and revealed a monster. They said they liked Daddy better. I told them that Mommy needed a five-minute timeout, and that each of them needed to decide if we were going to have a good day or a bad day. As I sat on our back porch, breathing deeply with my eyes closed, I thought, who raised these kids? Oh, wait, that was me. Our new reality felt suddenly crushing in a way that it hadn't before. This was going to be our life from now on, for months to come. Meanwhile inside, my kids had already moved on. They were singing the song that my mother-in-law emailed us last week to help the kids learn the names of all 50 United States. It's a catchy little jingle, and my kids love it. But the song begins, 
The United States, the United States, I love my country, the United States. Both my husband and I had an immediate gut reaction to that first line. As my kids sang through the 50 states in alphabetical order, I thought about how my feelings for my family are a bit like my feelings for my country. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's not a perfect metaphor. I have a great relationship with my dad. But even though my family drives me crazy sometimes, even though we've hurt each other, sometimes in ways that required a lot of work to repair, even though we're sometimes really dysfunctional, they're still my family. I wouldn't trade them for another one. I love them. My country makes me crazy sometimes, too. Certainly, there are injustices, things that need to be set right. We've got some skeletons in the closet that I'm not sure we'll ever fully reckon with, though many of us are trying. There are things we've done that I'm ashamed of, that I wish we could undo. But at the end of the day, it's still my country. I've lived in other parts of the world, and I'm so grateful for the lessons those places and people have taught me, one of which is that there are things my country has done that need to be made right. But when it's all said and done, this is the country that has shaped me most. And yet I can take no more credit for that, for my U.S. citizenship, than I can for the family I was born into. That first line in my kid's song makes me squeamish because my feelings for my country are complicated, maybe far more complicated than my feelings for my family. And yet I suppose in the same way that I love my family with all its imperfections, I do love my country too. That doesn't mean there aren't things that need to change or that I should be passive. If no one ever pushed back and fought against injustice, Women might still not have the right to vote. Slavery might still be legal. We still have more work to do. But with both my family and my country, if all I do is gripe and feel angry, everybody feels bad. We have to find some way to move forward as a family and figure out how to work together better while acknowledging that we still have a long way to go. I have a friend whose name I can't share who is working on issues related to our global pandemic, pretty close to the top. For years, he's been the person I go to if I need to check my own politics. I've learned from him that what we read in the media, even high-quality media that is trying hard to get it right, often isn't the whole story. With COVID-19, it's only been in the last couple of days that major news sources have published what my friend has known for a while— The National Security Council has been out front on COVID-19 from the very beginning, quietly working behind the scenes, while a very different message got out to the rest of us about what was or wasn't being done. I've included these published stories in my show notes, so you can read them for yourself. When I feel down on my family, when it seems like we are all dysfunction and no joy, one of the things that helps me is to be on the lookout for the things we're doing well. My son, who defiantly disobeyed me yesterday, is also the big brother who loves to read to his little sisters and comfort them when they're sad. Last night at dinner, out of nowhere, he sat for 20 minutes, solemnly asking questions about what it was like for the Native Americans when the first settlers came to this land. The same kids who were mouthing off to me yesterday 
are also the kids who take pride in helping out with cooking and cleaning and setting the table and writing each of our names in tape on the placemats. They're the kids who remember to put food and water in our car for Rick, the homeless guy who lives near our highway off-ramp, so that we can give it to him the next time we see him. They're the kids who tenderly put their arms around me and say, It's okay, Mommy, when I'm crying. They're good kids, but they're not perfect. Neither am I. When I asked my friend what he was most frustrated about right now, he said it's that we're the unrivaled global leaders in providing foreign assistance around the globe, and no one knows it. More than $9 billion per year annually, plus over a billion dollars in new COVID-19 assistance signed into law last month. He said that while China is promoting itself through mask diplomacy, giving away or selling medical supplies and equipment, they're not actually giving much in aid money. The United States has been the largest supporter of the World Health Organization since its creation in 1948. U.S. contributions in 2019 exceeded $400 million, almost double the second largest member state contribution. China, in contrast, contributed $44 million and doesn't even make the list of top contributors. An interesting side note is that the Gates Foundation is fifth on that list. UNICEF was one of the first organizations to provide aid to the Chinese people during the COVID-19 pandemic. Back in January, they delivered six metric tons of respiratory masks and protective suits for health workers. This wouldn't have been possible without U.S. support. In 2019, the U.S. contributed more than $700 million to UNICEF, compared to China's $16 million. In 2019, the United States contributed nearly $1.7 billion to the United Nations Refugee Agency, making it clear that we do care about human suffering no matter where it occurs. China contributed $1.9 million. These numbers are just the U.S. government's contribution. That's not even taking into account the $1.5 billion in COVID-19 assistance tallied so far from the U.S. private sector and nonprofits. Even as I read these numbers, which you can find on the U.S. Department of State website, it feels like a pissing contest to say them out loud. I want to be clear that I think it's great that China is providing medical equipment and masks and PPE to countries around the world. But my friend pointed out that these boxes of stuff cost little and have a high propaganda value. China hasn't yet stepped up their offers in foreign assistance, that is, in money, much at all. I found this quote by Secretary Michael Pompeo on the U.S. Department of State website, written on March 27th, just a few days ago. Whenever you see high-quality, effective COVID-19 aid being delivered around the world by UN humanitarian and relief agencies, what you're seeing is the generosity of the American people and those who share our humanitarian values. We are by far the largest contributors to organizations like the UN Children's Fund and the World Food Program because we believe in effective multilateralism that is focused on helping those in need not scoring political points. This is what true global leadership looks like. Yesterday, when I went back inside after the water incident, one by one my kids told me that they had decided to have a good day. I wish I could tell you that the rest of the day was smooth sailing, but it wasn't. 
We muddled our way through the morning, and in the afternoon, my neighbor's yard guy used power tools on and off for the better part of the next few hours, making it impossible for me to record. The kids were still fighting with each other at dinner. We got through it. Some days, that's the best we can do. There was a point yesterday after I came back inside when my middle daughter looked at me tearfully and said, Mommy, do you hate us? I sighed and put my head in my hands. No, sweetie, I said. I love you more than anything. You three kids and daddy are my favorite people in this world. But do you ever feel like you hate daddy and me? She hesitated and then nodded. But you know we love you even when you hate us, I said. She nodded again. Sometimes, I said to my daughter, the people we love most are the ones who make us the craziest. When I see the numbers that illustrate the help my country has extended to the world during this crisis, I wonder if it's possible to hold both our outrage over the things that we still need to change while also celebrating the ways that we've cared for the world. This might be a rare chance for our highly polarized country to come together on something. I wonder if even in the moments when I feel like I hate my country, I can remember that there are things that I love about it, too. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.